Anyway, if you have your Bibles, which if you don't, there's Bibles here that are they're blue. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start back into Ephesians. And I was going to call this, this is like a, a series, like a little mini-series within a book series, you know. I was going to call it seeing, God, seeing You as God Sees You, and it's sort of getting an understanding of, of how God, God sees us, but we'll see how that goes. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, and before we do that, I want to pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is, is, is like bread to us. It's life. It nourishes our soul. Lord, it reveals your heart. Teaches us about life. Lord, we're so appreciative of your word. Father, thank you for the time we get to spend studying your word. Lord, I ask your blessing that your Holy Spirit would would speak to us, would penetrate our heart, would speak to our particular situation and whatever we're facing in life. We ask that you would continue to conform us into the image of Christ, that, that you would strengthen our hearts, Lord, and live your life through us. And pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 24, Lord willing. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, Paul says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in the accordance of the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, this section, we kind of jumped in. We were in Romans 12 last few weeks looking at the gifts uh, of the spirit, the motivational gifts. Um, but this, this week, we're going to start doing is looking at really what it means to, uh, to live as a Christian and what it means to think as a Christian. Um, I want you to go back to Ephesians uh, chapter 4 and just to, to sort of give a running start, go back to verse 11. I meant to do this originally. Verse 11, it talks about the gifts that God gives to the, to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And each one has a different role. And we didn't look really deeply into this at all. But just to say is that their job, our job, is to equip the saints. My job is to equip you, right? Now that's a daunting task. That's a, that is a, a, that's a daunting task because there's so much influence in our lives every single day, right? And as a, as a pastor teacher, to teach and to instruct and to help be a part of that process that God uses. And of course, God uses other teachers and other means and everything else. But it's a daunting task because we have so much influencing our lives, right? 
He says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's the ultimate goal, is to know, is to know the Son of God. And to a mature man, look at verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and, here, here and there by waves carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Now, the reason why I'm pointing this out is this. When we get into these verses we just read, 17 to 24, we're going to major on some specific doctrines, i.e. truth. What's going on in today's world is a lot of things that are vying for our attention, a lot of things vying for being truth. Okay? We see this in, in the young people in this generation. I happen to have two young people in my, in my family, and I am well aware of the things they're being uh, influenced by. Um, as Christians, we want to be grounded in truth. Okay? This is regular stuff, right? Well, developing. We're going to work through this, okay? So, we'll go back to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4. He says, this I say, uh, in verse 17, that your, your walk is different. Look at verse 17. This is not the first time he's mentioned walking. And the word walking there means to your life. In fact, Paul's mentioned this idea of walking in several other places in Ephesians. For example, in Ephesians 4.1, he says, Walk in humility. Have the attitude of humbleness. Here in verses 17 of Ephesians 4, he says, Walk in truth. That's his main point. Walk in truth. Walk with the purpose of walking in truth. And look at chapter 5, verse 2. He says, Walk in love. As a Christian, we are to walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 8. He says, Now you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In verse 15, he says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making most of your time. Walk wisely. So the idea here is walking, meaning living righteously. Old Testament uh, had the idea of living righteous before God. It's what you do with your daily life. It's what you do when you're not at church, <laughs> when you're home alone. What kind of, what's, what's your daily life looking at, okay? Here, in this section of Ephesians, the big idea that I'm going to share with you tonight is this, <clears throat> is that we are to walk in truth, and that the truth, if the truth is foundational to our living, or thinking, will have the fruit that will bear it, okay? The foundation of our thinking becomes the fruit of our living. That's going to be the main point that we make tonight. The foundation of your thinking becomes the fruit in your living. Does that make sense? In other words, if, you're, if, if, you're, if our, the processes by which we think is, foundi foundational, is founded on truth, what will bear fruit will be... Um, will... Uh, be in accordance with that. So Paul says, back in Ephesians 4, that, uh, says, so this I say to you and affirm and together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Go back to verse 17. The Gentiles here are, are Gentile unbelievers. <clears throat> and he's referring to their mind. Look at, look at verse 17. It says, the futility of their mind. Then he says in verse 18, being darkened in their understanding... 
excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is them, because of the hardness of their heart. He's really emphasizing what we're thinking about. How do we think and what do we think? Now, here's the thing that happens. A person gets saved, right? They come from the world. They come to Christ. And they don't instantly start thinking the right way, right? It's now a process to begin to learn Christianly, okay? Even Christians who've been walking with the Lord a long time, we have little hiccups here and there, you know, that aren't in conforming with, with truth, right? And so we have to learn, okay, well, my thinking here is off because something's, something's coming up. Why am I acting this way? Why is, why is it when this happens, I have this reaction that's not Christ-like? Well, you go back to the foundation of that thought process. So as Christians, we are learning to, to think more and more like Christ, okay? I think I have enough for like three sermons here, so <laughs> maybe it'll stress out to a three-week. <laughs> I like, try to do it all in one, you know? He says... I tell you not to walk as the Gentiles walk, who walk in the futility of their mind. The word futility there means aimlessness. It's a word that's used in the Old Testament, a, 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 a Hebrew word that's havel. It's, it's, and in Ecclesiastes, the writer says, vanity of vanities. And the word means vapor. It's there and it's gone. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is without basis. It is... Uh, it is aimless. It is absent of any true purpose. Gentiles walk in the futility, the emptiness, the purposelessness of their thinking in their mind. They have aim. Here's what the idea is of this word. The, the word here in, in the Greek uh, uh, is you have this aim, and you're trying to reach a goal, but you don't get there. That's the idea of becoming Like you're trying to accomplish something, and you just don't get there. That's futility. Or you have no aim at all. It's purposeless. There's no aim. Does your life have purpose? Does your, does your life, yeah, well, in Christ, you have purpose, yes. Those who are outside of Christ don't have purpose. That's a sad state. Just to start off right there, those who are not in Christ live with futility. Their thoughts don't, don't drive them toward the purpose. And the purpose of life is Christ. The reason why we were designed by God is to live for Christ, is to know Christ. He is the goal of our life as Christians, right? In fact, this word is used uh, of, of somebody who, who worshipped idols. And the idol worshiper was worshipping nothing, right? And it was aimless. Imagine this. Now, I'm not going to idolize my drink here. I am thirsty, but imagine... Let's pretend I, like, this is my idol now. And I say, idol, can you give me a job? Can you feed my children? Now, this looks, this looks absolutely ridiculous, right? Okay? From a standpoint. But the person who's in this really thinks that this, their idol is going to accomplish something in life. It's the same idea. It's futile. It's not going to accomplish. I mean, quench my thirst for a few minutes, but it's not going to accomplish the thing which they hope it will accomplish. So the person who is, the, the, the unbeliever who's futile in mind um, is not able to perceive the things of God. 
is not be able to understand or grasp or think about the things of God. Go to Romans chapter 1. There's a parallel verse here uh, with this idea. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 is a really almost parallel thought for thought. This is actually a little bit longer uh, section. But Romans 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's going to be our key concept here is the truth. What is the truth? What do we do with the truth? What defines truth? And here what Paul is saying is that people who are unbelievers are exposed to truth constantly, but they suppress it. Okay? A person, an unbeliever, a person in the world does one of three things with truth. Okay? They will either flat out reject it. They'll hear the truth and they'll say, talk to the hand, I don't want to hear it. Okay? Or they'll just completely opposite. They'll either reject it, they'll refuse it. They're not even listening to it. Don't even tell me the truth, right? Or the third thing they'll do is redefine it. And that's very prevalent in today's society is redefinition of truth. We'll get to that in a few minutes here. This is uh, some foundational stuff. He says, uh, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. They say, where's God? They say, look at the universe. Look at creation. It doesn't just happen. It's interesting. They, they, they'll, they'll go to their parking lot, and they'll go to the car in the parking lot, and there's a dent. They'll say, who dented my car? But they'll say, well, but nobody put the universe together. I mean, there's it's, it's a disconnect. Does that make sense? It's not a matter of a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of the will accepting God's uh, uh, communication of himself. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Same idea from Ephesians. The result is futile thinking and rejecting the truth of God. It now is, it, it spirals down, down into, into this. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man or birds or four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They worshipped idols or they worshipped creation. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural functions for that which is unnatural. And it goes on from there. Indecent acts that they, they commit. Back to Ephesians. The idea is, is Paul is saying, you guys, um, you're, first of all, you're no longer this way. But this is how you were in the world. This is how unbelievers are. They have futile, they have... Their mind is, is darkened, their understanding is darkened, and they're not part of, of God's, uh, of, they're not saved yet, okay? Go back to seven, verse 17 of Ephesians 4. <clears throat> he says, the futility of their mind, the, way, the mind actually, it's a word that's, uh, that means a particular way of thinking. Their way of thinking, their way of reasoning is futile because it doesn't bring them to the right goal. The aims, uh, the, their, their thoughts are, are on emptiness, 
The result of that is verse 18. Being darkened in their understanding, they are excluded from the life of God. You see, it starts, off, it starts off with the understanding of the mind. It starts off, what do you do with truth? And those, the unbelievers will, will reject the truth. And there's, okay, the re- rejection of truth mean, mean, leads to the darkening of the heart, the callousness of the heart, and then all kinds of stuff, right? Being dark in verse 18 of, uh, and their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. The result is their heart is very insensitive. It's insensitive to God. Actually, the word means, uh, the, idea, the idea of the hardness means um, to, be, um, uh, to be calloused, to be, it's like when a bone breaks and there's callous, there's this, the stuff that forms in between the bone, the break in the bone that's harder than the bone itself. It becomes harder than the actual bone. Calcium, we're not sure what it's really called, but calcification is the, is the idea. And it becomes insensitive. Okay? Paul says that they have given themselves over, that their heart is, is hardened, and as a result, they have become callous and then given themselves over to sensuality and uh, every kind of impurity with greediness. The idea of greediness there is the idea of wanting it all. In fact, the word means I have more or I want more. The covetousness. This is just kind of laying a very, kind of a dark picture, right? Of, of, of unbelievers. Paul is doing this on purpose because he's trying to draw out a contrast between the life of the unbeliever, the thought process of the unbeliever, the, the understanding of the unbeliever, and that of the believer. He's trying to draw this huge contrast. There ought to be a difference, be, a night and day, between us and the world. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, <laughs> sometimes I think we're no different, right? Because we have the same problems, right? Because I don't know about you, because, you know, there's marriage problems, there's parental problems, there's, there's job problems, there's, you know, you, we kind of, we can understand that, right? We think, well, now we're Christians, then we should be shielded from all those problems that the world has. You know, because they, they're, actually, let's put, the, let's put the Christians over here, let's put the world over here. The world's, we're, they're in darkness, right? They know any better. No, but, but, but we, as Christians, we, ought, we know better, right? And so we think, okay, maybe now we've arrived, and maybe no more problems, no more trials, tribulations, no more issues, no more, Right? Isn't that right? That's what we think. But somehow I look at the world, I look at, at the church, and I think, is there, is there a difference? What's the difference, right? The difference is this. As a Christian, we have a choice. As a non-Christian, they can't help but have their, their thinking is what it is. And sometimes we as Christians look at the world and we say, when will you get it? Right? When will they get it? They can't. Unless God shines a light in their heart, unless God does something, it's like this, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, right? Right. What's the second verse say? And darkness was over the surface of the deep, right? Now just imagine this. We don't know how, okay, 6,000 years, 10,000 years, 10 billion years, I don't care how old the earth is. Earth is. It doesn't matter. Because their earth could have been around for trillions of years. 
Until God says, let there be, nothing happens in that action. Right? Darkness is over, and, and, it, and then it says, and it was formless and void. It was a mess. It was chaos. It was dark. It was chaos. Nothing's happening. Until God says, let there be something, then something happens, right? That's the life of the unbeliever. Let, unless, something, unless God does something, that doesn't change. But now, Paul's saying, listen, but we're around this side of the equation. So on this side of the equation, as a Christian, our way of thinking ought to be different. Why? Because we do have understanding of God. Now, what's the difference? We have to learn how to think as Christ, and that's the process of being a disciple, right? Justin, I'm, getting, I'm going, to, going somewhere on this. So he says, verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. You did not learn Christ in this way. In fact, um, he doesn't say you did not learn about Christ in this way. Look at, he says, you did not learn Christ. He says, Christ is the object. He's the subject of our learning. If you want to be more like Christ, study Christ. If you want to be more like Christ, fellowship with Christ. If you want to be more like Christ, spend time with Christ. He doesn't say, okay, now... Don't say, um, I, I could say, like, um, I, I know, I know my wife, because I spend time with her, right? And, 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 and what's, what's your name again? Rebecca. Rebecca. Rebecca just met Sharon. Rebecca, Sharon, Sharon, Rebecca. Rebecca knows about Sharon now, a little bit about Sharon. She knows she's my wife. You don't know my wife yet, okay? There's a difference. Knowing about and knowing, okay? Paul says, listen, you did not learn Christ. Christ is not, the, listen, if you want to change, you study Christ. Christ is the object of your study. You spend time with, that's what Christian is, right? Or nowadays it's popular to say Jesus follower, or whatever, Christian, whatever you want to call ourselves, we love Jesus, right? And when I look at Jesus, <clears throat> I ask this of 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 Alyssa yesterday. I said, Alyssa, what do you like about Jesus? You can think about this. She said, he's, he's kind. I like Jesus. I mean, the gospel is, he's kind. What else did you say? He doesn't get angry quickly. Right? Now think about that. He's kind. So, if, let's say, hey, I... I like this Jesus character in the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. I love Jesus because he's kind. He doesn't get angry quickly, right? That's, those are, oh my God, that's, that's a great person to know, right? Then I say, I'm a Christian in my kind. Well, depends if you caught me before or after coffee, right? And do I have a short fuse? Do I get angry quickly? Well, I'm part Italian, so I get to have, you know, no, no, no. I have to say, Jesus doesn't get angry quickly in my learning Christ in that area of my life. Why am I getting angry so quickly? Is that what I'm learning from Christ? No. Then, what, then I have to somehow come to grips with that. Something happened uh, yesterday that my initial reaction was fear. I started, I don't know what it was, I, um, I started reacting out of fear. 
Then I stopped and thought, wait, would Jesus react out of fear? Would Jesus respond to any situation out of fear? Any. Yeah, but that was Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus is the object of my study. He's the object of my relationship, right? So where is it that my thinking is going wrong with, 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 with Christ? Does that make sense? You guys are quiet. It's just, maybe it's just the AC's not on and breeze to the background noises, but that's okay. He says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you had heard him and had been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. You did not learn Christ in this way. He says, your, your understanding was in dark, and now it's been enlightened. You're not ignorant anymore. We aren't ignorant anymore. Christ is now in our life. He's made us alive. We don't have a futile life. We have a purpose in our life. And Christ is the, is the object. He gives us purpose in our life. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as what? Truth is in Jesus. Now, this is interesting. If you, um, if you were to ask uh, people, in fact, I was reading a, a study uh, about um, the, the breakdown of, of history. Um, today, a lot of people would say truth is very relative, right? Hey, what's true for you is true for you, right? What's true for me is true for me. That's a very postmodern way of thinking about truth. Okay? Well, you know, that religion has their truth and we have our truth. This is where you get really muddy waters. Um, scripture teaches that truth is objected, objective and is found in a person, it's found in Christ. Today, we would say, you know, truth is relative. It's, you know, a group of people can determine their own truth. Or somebody could say, well, that feels truth for you. That's, pre- listen, let me just say something. This is what's prevalent in our day today. Our young people are being, are being subject to this right now. No longer is truth objective to them. It's very subjective. It's very feelings-oriented. Okay, it's one of the, the it's postmodern way of thinking. No longer is it logical, right? How many of you guys are Star Trek fans? Okay, who's the guy with the pointy ears? Spock. Spock was very what? Very logical. He was the modern man. He was, he was what? He was very serious. He never laughed unless something unless somebody put something in his water, right? He didn't he didn't laugh at all. But Spock represented sort of the modern way of thinking, very, you know, scientific, reasoning, you know, process, the, all this kind of stuff, right? That's going out the door in this today's, today's. Now you get to define your own truth. You can decide what you think is true, right? This has crept into the church, and this has really crept into the thinking of, of the, Gen y, the, post, the Gen Y's, X, Z's, whatever letters you want to put out there, Okay? This way of thinking. It's, not, it's foundational on subjectivity of being truth. Truth is subjective. It's based on what you feel. So if you feel a certain thing is true, it's true for you, and that means it's true. Scripture says no, truth is found in Christ. Truth is found in Christ. In fact, um, Barna Research Group did a, um, a survey, <clears throat> did a couple, they do surveys all the time, 
And they found that only about 9 or 10% of Americans believe in a, have a biblical worldview. Now, what's a worldview? A worldview is basically your assumptions about what truth is or what things ought to happen. A, a, a sort of your, your framework, your, your lens by which you see life. Where's my glasses? Okay. A, a, a worldview is sort of the, the lenses which you view life. And you interpret things through your lenses. You know, if my lenses, you guys ever see like the fair, the, the, those funny looking mirrors? Okay, imagine I had lenses that, that I look at you guys, you're all funny looking, right? I think that you guys really look like what I'm seeing, okay? So that's what a, and the worldview really helps you as a grid decide right from wrong or what you think is acceptable and unacceptable. Only 9 or 10% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Only 19% of Christians have a biblical worldview. Whoa. <laughs> Wait, time out. 19% of Christians, those who go to church, have a biblical worldview. Now, what's, this, what's defined as a biblical worldview? Here's how he defines it. For the purposes of the survey, biblical worldview was defined as belie- believing that, one, absolute truth, moral truth exists. Very first point. That there's absolute moral truth. Second, that the Bible is totally accurate in all the, of its principles it teaches. Three, that Satan is considered to be a real person or force, not merely symbolic. Fourth, a person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or, or, or do good works. Then, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. Then God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. If you held to these beliefs, you had a biblical worldview. Only 20%. This was, this was actually done in 2009. I, know, I read one that was from 2017. The numbers are very similar. 19 to 20% of born-again Christians, those who claim to be born again, have this worldview. In other words, they accepted all of these. Now, to you and I, I, think, I take all this stuff for granted. Here's what's going on. <clears throat> this is why I said the, the, the task of the church is the task of the teacher is daunting, because there's things that want to undermine the foundation of what we live, what we understand life to be. I take it for granted that truth is is absolute. It's found in Christ. It's not subjective. In fact, if I uh, go further on the ideas of the study. Only one-third of the adults, say about 34 33%, believe that moral truth is absolute and unaffected by circumstances. Only one-third of adult Christians in this country believe that truth is absolute. Barnett continues on another study. He, he defines different worldviews. There's different ideas or ways of looking at life. I mentioned postmodernism, which I'll redefine in a second. One of them is called the new spirituality. Now, the new spirituality is, is enticing because it has a positive view of all religion. It has a positive view of super, the supernatural and things like that. About almost 30% of practicing Christians strongly agree that, here's the quote, that all people pray to the same God or spirit no matter what the name they use for that spiritual being. In other words, we're just worshiping the same God. You call it 
I won't say that. I'll just fill in the blank in your head. Think of major religions in the world. You call it that, and I call it Jesus. We just worship the same God. The only difference is that this God over here doesn't say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they're the same God. That, that everybody gets to the same place eventually. This is very, this is, I know this is a lot of, I'm giving you a lot of information, but it's concerning. It's very concerning. Would you give your child food that had even a drop of arsenic in it? Or rat poison? Would you give your child anything that you knew that would have a, an inkling of, 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 of poison? No. Further, um, in this new spirituality worldview, they have a belief that meaning and purpose come from becoming one, uh, one with all that is. That you could, these are Christians who say, yes, I believe that meaning uh, and purpose come from becoming one with all that is. That's, that sounds very pantheistic, right? Or That's almost 27%. If you do good, you'll receive good. If you do bad, you'll receive bad. That's very karmatic or karma. You know, that's kind of like, that. that's appeals. That's, um, another worldview is secularism, which believes in the scientific method to explain life and, and advances in rational and materialistic world of, uh, view of the world. Christians, a large portion of Christians, are inclined towards materialism. That's... That's the idea that the material world is all that there is. These are professing Christians who say that that material world is really all that there is. For them, meaning and purpose comes from hard, hard, working hard to earn as much as you possibly can so that you can make the most of life. Now, I understand about being diligent in life, but just to get more stuff is meaning to them, and a lot of Christians agree with that. In postmodern thinking, postmodern is, is really the antithesis of Mr. Spock, the antithesis of logical scientific thinking. It actually rejected that. Um, it says there's no such thing as objective truth. This is what's true for you. What do you think this means, Michelle? What does this mean to you? Well, to you it means this. To me it means that, right? That's very, 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 very... At the end of the day, God says, no, here's what it meant to me, right? And you really want to be on that same, pot, that same page of, as with God as saying, no, what matters to me is what's important. About 23% of Christians um, agree with the statement that says, what is morally right or wrong depends on what an individual believer believes. What's right or wrong depends on whether a person believes to be right or wrong. It's very subjective. You decide what's right or wrong. Okay? Here, here's the difference. Um, uh, there's a few more. There's, others. there's a Marxic, Marxic, Marxism uh, point of view. There's, there's other ones. I won't go to all of them. But here's what's interesting about this. Go back to Ephesians. And here's why I'm pointing this out. Paul says, 
The Gentiles are futile in their thinking, right? They're darkening understanding and they give themselves over to various practices, right? And he warns about that. He says, but you guys aren't like this anymore. Something's happened. You're on this side of the equation. But now, if Paul were writing to us today, he would be warning us that, wait a second here. There are some things that's crept into the church now. Where no longer it's, it's a distinct line between Gentile, unbeliever, and believer. Now you have... Well, some believers believing that truth is objective in Christ and something that's subjective based on feelings. Feelings are very strong. You know that. I mean, feelings are hard to ignore, right? I mean, they're, <laughs> they're part of you, right? They're, 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 they have a strong pull. I, I just, but feelings are dirty little liars. Because guess what? <clears throat> okay, so imagine this. My dad used to fly a small airplane, right? And uh, he used to have to fly below the clouds because he was an instrument rated. And the instrument rated means that you were able to fly in the clouds or above the clouds. So he says, here's what they do. To test you or to help you learn, they put, you have the helmet on, and they put this visor over your head, your face, or, or they, they block the windows or just, you know, so you can't see outside. And you had to fly the airplane, take off and land, by instruments alone. You had to look at the altitude, your speed, all that kind of stuff, right? That's a scary thing. Because I don't know about you, I want to sit by the window and look and say, oh, yeah, you know. But you had to learn to fly by instruments. Now, you may feel, I think we need to go up a little more. Uh, No, I think we need to, you may feel a certain way, but your instruments told you the truth, right? It's how um, JFK Jr. died that way, because he was an instrument reader, as far as I understand, and he got... He felt like he was going the right way, and then he crashed, right? Feelings can deceive you. Our objective truth that we live life based on is Christ, is on the scriptures, on the New Testament, Christ himself being our example, right? And sometimes we feel certain things, and we have to say, by faith, I should do this. But I, I feel a certain way, but so that's, a, that's, that's where Paul says, now, you have to make choices that go away from your feelings. Your feelings may be Okay, but here, you know, this is what Scripture says. Let's follow Scripture. And it's a decision of the will. If Paul were writing today, he'd be like, hey guys, the foundation of your thinking, is it on Christ? Is it solid on Christ? Because if it's not solid on Christ, you're on shaky ground. Very shaky ground. I think about, I think about my daughter Alyssa and whoever, Joshua, young people here, Going to high school, eventually college. Okay? When you go to college, you're going to be exposed to, to thoughts and processes of thinking that are, that are very scary if you don't know what to do with it. Okay? I mean, part of what I'll, I would love to do is have a night with the young people and, and go even deeper in this stuff because, because um, just one sermon is, is not going to be enough time to tackle this. But I'm so, um, I'm so convinced that this has to be done. The, that we, have, that we have to teach the young people, especially mom and dad, how to think biblically, how to think critically, how to, how, to, how to look at something and be objective. Okay, what does the scripture teach? What's the example of Christ? Um, and, and learn how to think in a biblical way. Because guess what? There's going to come a day when our kids are going to move out of the house, right? And go to college and maybe someday get married or something, you know, and, and meet people or 
that's a scary place, right? And we're like, did I prepare my child for that time? I remember being on the, I went to Ubeg, Tucson. There's some, all kinds of stuff down there, right? I saw all kinds of craziness, right? From Christians to very Eastern religion to everything else in between. And if you didn't know better, uh, you, you, they could have had you like that. If you, didn't, if you did not have grounding of truth, they could have had you like that. And I had a friend I went to seminary with. He had a ministry that he started that high schoolers, when they were done with, they were in a high school group in church, when they went to college, they dropped off the map. This is important. When, when our kids move out and they go off to college, will they continue in the faith that they were brought up in? Will they know how to recognize? And so he, he had a ministry that he started that helped sort of bridge the gap between high school and college where he sort of was the conduit of, of making sure they were plugged in and everything else because he saw statistics were huge. They just, I don't have them written down, but there are a huge amount of Christian kids went to college, left the faith. This is concerning because we're spending, we're spending years in our kids' future, right? And within a very short period of time, they can be gone. So I'm, I'm, I'm stressing this because it's very, very important. I know I'm, I'm not even doing this justice with what I want to do with this, this lesson, but um, all to say is truth matters. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? A lot of people have a hard time with that on the world. Okay, you talk, with, talk to the Lord about that. Talk to Jesus about that. But that's what he's, no one comes to the Father but through me. Okay, that's very, not no, Jesus, that's very, um, that's not fair. That's very exclusivity of you, or exclusive of you, or what's the word I'm looking for? The, the narrow-minded. You, you, you're just a narrow-minded bigot there, Jesus. I think always lead to God. You're talking the Son of God himself. I mean, you're going to argue with somebody who raises the dead and, <laughs> and heals the sick and, I mean, you know, I'm on his side, you know. That's his words. Truth matters. Truth matters. Um, don't assume if your friends are doing it, if the world's doing it, if everyone else is doing it, even if some Christians are doing it, that it's true. Or, in fact, I have a, we have a nephew that um, he was brought up in a Christian home, and uh, maybe he's listening to this. But I'll give him props. He's brought up in a Christian home, went to Christian school, Christian high school, everything else. Sharp kid, goes to a Christian college, it's a denominational type college, out of state, and. In one of his classes, or a couple, several of his classes, his professors um, would either cut sections out of the Bible or they would redefine. They had a very different way of looking at the Bible. They had, for example, Jesus didn't, when they say John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? They interpreted it to mean that, that God so loved the world, the planet, the trees and the plants and everything else, that he gave his life for the planet, Right? And he, being a very sharp-minded kid, and, and he, he, he was the only one that would raise his hand and challenge his professors on the, the, the foundation of, of, their, of their thoughts. 
All the other kids, just taking notes, just taking notes. He's the only one who raised his hand and he, he, he sent me emails of all the stuff that he was being exposed to. This isn't a Christian college. Your guard gets let down. Christian college, hey, let your guard down. It's Christian. Mom and Dad, I'm at Christian college. Jesus died for the planet, not for people. It's essentially what they taught. He's the only one who would, that I knew of that he told me. He's just, everybody else is just taking notes, lapping it up. Like it's nothing. Drinking the Kool-Aid. See, the devil doesn't stop trying to influence your way of thinking. You know that. He doesn't, he doesn't stop trying to influence the way you think. By the way, as I said before, if the, fo- the foundation of your thinking is truth, right, then the fruit of your living ought to bear that truth. As Christians, we are to bear fruit like Christ. If my life bears fruit that is contrary to the way Jesus was, I have to say... What is that thought process, these actions, these attitudes, what is it founded on? Hmm, not a Christ way of thinking, but a manly way of thinking. Now, somehow I have to come into terms with that and submit that to God, right? As far as sanctification. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're, the foundation of your thinking will become the fruit of your living. And uh, Paul says... I haven't got to the application part. Verse 22. Oh boy. How about this? Let's, um, does this make sense? Okay. Hello. Whoa. That was, okay, Lord, I get the, I get the hint. <laughs> okay. Here's why this is foundational. Listen to me. Listen to me. Look at the next verse, verse 22. What does he say? That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust of of deceit. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Now, technically here, the way the Greek reads, here, uh, actually, um, it's similar to Colossians 3. I want you to go to Colossians 3, because Paul sort of does... Very similar thing, Colossians 3. And I'll, I'll point out to you in a second here. Go to Colossians 3. And in verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living with them. But now you also, verse 8, put them all aside... Or strip them, strip them off, basically is what the, what the Greek means. Strip off anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech. And he goes on from there. Verse 10, put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Go back to Ephesians. Similar idea. Here's what Paul is saying. You are not that anymore. You are not 
um, as he says back in Ephesians 4, you're not your former self. Lay that self aside. And we'll get into this next few weeks more deeply into what all this means. You're not defined by that old way. You're defined by Christ's new life. Now, he, he links this with the baptism of Christ, with the death of Christ, the burial and the resurrection of Christ. He says you were, in Romans, he says you were buried with him, you died with him, you were buried with him, you were raised with him. Okay, right. Here's the thing. When he says you died with Christ, oh, I, I feel alive right now. I, mean, I feel my heartbeat, right? Or my pulse. I think I have a pulse. Yeah, I feel my pulse. I, I'm, I don't feel like I died, right? You're really, like, I died with Christ? Well, come I wasn't there. It was 2,000 years ago, right? So what's true? What's true? Paul says, listen, <clears throat> yeah, you, you are alive right now, okay? <laughs> but when Christ did what he did on the cross, you were with him. And when Christ was resurrected, you were with him. So that what's true about you, what God says is true about you, is more true than what you feel is true about you. You say, I feel this. I, I don't feel very holy right now. God says, you're holy. God says, in Ephesians 1, he says, you're a saint. I don't feel like I'm a saint. You know, my, my thinking of saints is somebody who's really, really good, right? You know, and they live this, this Mother Teresa kind of life, and, right? And they did all kinds of wonderful things, and that's a saint. Did you see me two hours ago? I wasn't very saintly, Lord. God says, you're a saint. <laughs> it's a miracle. Why is there a church on this place? No, this... The Lord is drawing attention to what we're saying here, right? God says, listen, God says, I know I've gone over time, but uh, God says you're a saint. St. Alan, St. Rita, Rebecca, St. Rebecca, St. Michelle. I don't feel like a saint, but God says I'm a saint. Now, what has to happen? I have to identify with what? either what God says or how I feel. That's the challenge because God says a lot of things about us that he says are true. When we look at our circumstances of life, we say, uh, I don't God, are you looking at the same? Maybe it's a different John 4. You know, maybe it's the guy who lives in New York. I did a Google search of my name one time, right? There's two other guys with my name I found. One, <clears throat> one's an accountant. He's a professor, I do accounting, right? He's a professor of accounting, and another, one, another guy I found was a pastor. This is weird. I mean, John Core, the accountant, professor of accounting, accounting and, and John Core, the, the pastor of some church somewhere. I know who I am, but God says, no, I know who you are too. And what I say about you is more true than what you feel about you. Okay, we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at that. Because Paul says, your old self is one thing, and you can't put that away. And your new self is created in righteousness and holiness, whether you feel like it or not. So let's do this. Let's close in prayer, and we will, maybe we'll take the next couple of weeks looking at a few of these examples 
of the truth that's in Christ, the truth that Jesus says, hey, I see this about you, and this scene, scene from God's perspective is what we want to do, okay? Let's pray. Father,